Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks again. It's wonderful leading us in worship. Thank you, Jana. Barbara Moore was a lady that did not live a life of quiet desperation. <clears throat> she graduated from the University of Wisconsin in 1947 uh, with a degree in art. She got married, and she and her husband moved to the Philippines, and it was there, <clears throat> excuse me, she took up scuba diving. And she loved to go searching for gold and sunken uh, treasures. She returned to the United States. She started her own business selling uh, materials to the, uh, to the military. Uh, she took up a new hobby, and she loved to go skiing. And then she started teaching a course in college uh, called The Settling of the Eastern Sierra. And she was such a dynamic speaker that there was standing room only in her classroom there at the local college. In 2000, uh, she, her health began to deteriorate, and so she moved from California into her daughter's home, a lady by the name of Tracy Day. Now, Barbara Moore did not know the Lord. Uh, she had never been to church. In fact, she had only gone to church a couple of times when she was a young child. But Tracy, her daughter, was a very dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. Do you see where this is going? Mom, you're going to live with us. We want you to go to church with us. Well, okay, if you insist. And so she went to the local church there, and it didn't take long till she realized her need for the Savior. And she, Barbara, gave her life to Christ, became born again, followed the Lord in believer's baptism, like many this morning did, praise the Lord. Got a chance this morning, uh, me personally upstairs, to led a couple to Christ. Uh, walked upstairs this morning, guy was drinking his coffee, says, I want to be saved, can you help me today? I said, well, let me pray about it. Let me think about it. <clears throat> so uh, he and his uh, girlfriend accepted the Lord. And so Barbara Moore, she became a Christian, a follower of Christ, and she began to attend. Kathy Spencer, you'll like this story. She began to attend a uh, women's Bible study, and they had 170 ladies in the Bible study. And Barbara Moore, she loved it. She was like a sponge. They were studying the book of Revelation all year. And Barbara, she had never heard this before. She was just fascinated with all these stories and all this scripture, and so she began to soak it up. Well, those ladies, I don't know if this was a Baptist church, but it may have been, but they began to fuss a little bit. And they began to debate with one another, and you know, eschatology will do that. I've never seen Christians debate more on any other topic, maybe except creation. The way everything began and the way everything is going to end, we just seem to have very differences of opinion, especially within us Baptist circles. Well, anyhow, they were on the edge of just getting, I mean, just a little bit unruly in this women's Bible study. And these, I mean, they were getting red in the face. And Barbara Moore, new Christian, she raised her hand. And they said, would you like to say something? She said, yes, I just want to ask a question. And they said, well, go, go ahead. She goes, who is the lamb? And they said, excuse me? He said, well, you know, we're reading the book of Revelation. I, it was really more of a statement than it was a question. She said, who is the lamb in the book of Revelation? Well, this holy hush just settled over those ladies. And from the rest of the year, when they began to study and they could feel their, their blood pressure, you know, rising, and they felt like they were getting a little bit upset and they wanted to debate, somebody would say, stop for a minute, who is the lamb? That is a great question. It's a great statement. 
Because often when you read God's Word, especially in the book of Revelation, you can get caught up into all kinds of theories. You can get caught up into the symbolism and the metaphors. And if you're like me, you can come to some very strong conclusions theologically about what you believe John was saying in the book of the Apocalypse. It's good for us to remember that the primary focal point of the entire Word of God, and especially the apocalypsis, the unveiling, is none other than Jesus Christ. And we need to be reminded of that. And I want us to be reminded of that, especially today, as I tread into these waters of preaching a whole sermon on the Antichrist. And this is an intense sermon. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's, it's fraught with spiritual warfare. It's a very difficult sermon to preach. I had somebody tell me the other day, they said, well, pastor, I appreciate you because you preach uh, sermons you don't really want to preach. I said, well, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, Scripture talks about being ready in season and out of season. This is a sermon I'm going to be thrilled that I preached once I've preached it. So it's Revelation chapter 13, and I want you to read with me as we study this very charismatic personality, this very dynamic individual who is yet to come. He's going to take the world by storm. In fact, the Bible says people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will fall down and worship this man known as the son of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the antichrist, the devil incarnate, if you will. No, he has not come, and no, he is not our current president. Bless your heart. He is not the antichrist. But there is coming a person. You think he's charismatic. Wait till you see this guy. Wait till this guy comes on the world scene with great charisma. Of course, he's going to be... Uh, very, very handsome. He has to be, because that is part of the, the worship. Our world is so caught up in the way someone looks. He's going to be very intelligent, and uh, he is going to uh, win people's affection, and they are going to literally worship him and worship the force behind him, which is none other than Satan. So, as I read this text, now there's a lot of symbolism, there's a lot of imagery going on, and if you feel like you're just getting overwhelmed, you just cannot understand what is going on, just ask yourself this question. Who is Jesus? He's the one that really counts, all right? He's the one that wins. And so here we go as we tread into this message on the Antichrist. By show of hands, how many have ever heard a sermon on the Antichrist? I'm just curious. Okay, a lot of you have, a lot of you have. Were you as nervous listening to it as I am preaching it? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't fear evil. I do respect it. I, I don't fear it. But uh, I do appreciate you praying for me. As I wrote my newsletter this week, uh, I, I appreciate your prayers for me. I'm rocking back and forth. I'm wringing my hands. I'm nervous. And um, I don't know. This guy could be alive. He could very well be alive today. And uh, it, it frightens me a little bit, but it, uh, it, it really doesn't overall. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, John says. This beast had seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns were ten diadema. And that's very important. It's not Stephanos, the Greek word for the, the victor's crown. This is diadema. This refers to uh, authority. It refers to kingship. It, refer, it refers to royalty. So seven heads, okay, you got ten, and then ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast. Now, the, now John is assuming that you and I know who the beast is because we've studied the book of, of Daniel. And when you read the book of Daniel, Daniel goes to great lengths in describing in the same nomenclature, the same descriptive phrases, 
that John uses, I mean, from the leopard to the, to the bear to the claws, all those things that Daniel talked about, now John's using them to give further definition of the man of perdition, the son of lawlessness. Now the beast, John says, I saw him. He was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. And if you've ever seen a bear's claws and paws, you, you know it's fierce. And his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his exousia, or his dunamis, his power, his throne, and his great exousia, his authority. That's very important, by the way. Satan is motivating and inspiring this person who is yet to come, this Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, Stalinist kind of guy. He's going to rise up on the world scene. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast." In other words, he's going to die and rise from the dead. Now, this might be a mock resurrection. This may be a sleight of hand. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be so amazing that when he dies and comes back to life, people are going to worship him, and you can begin to see the counterfeit. You know, there's the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's an unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And whatever God means for good, whether it's life, whether it's marriage, whether it's church, whatever God has created and meant it for good, Satan has a counterfeit that it's meant for evil. So they worshiped him. They worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, has there ever been a time in the history of mankind where there has been a mock resurrection and the entire world worships him? You say, wait a minute, the entire world? Yeah, wait a minute, you'll see it. Every tribe, tongue, nation of people on earth are going to worship what Daniel and John calls a beast. He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years, 1,260 days. Daniel calls it a time and times and half a time, three and one half years. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme God's name, God's tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him, the beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe and tongue and nation of the world. All who dwell on the earth are going to worship Him. In fact, it's those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I love what John says here. He says, if you have an ear on your head, you need to hear what I'm saying. He who has an ear, acousite, it's where we get the English word acoustics, he who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit is saying. He who leads into captivity will go into captivity, and he who kills with the sword, they must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience, the hupomonin, the the, the bearing up underneath. A good translation of that word would be endurance. Here is the endurance and the pistis, the faith. I think a better translation would be the faithfulness of the saints of God. Lord, we love You. We recognize that You are the King, that You are the one enthroned in heaven above. You are the Lamb of God. 
takes away the sin of the world. Lord, you have warned us, you have told us of a day and an age that is coming, and the more we live, the closer we get to this day where Satan will have his day. He will have his man, and he will be worshiped. But Lord, I thank you that we're not caught up in that, we're not intimidated by that, because Lord, it's all a part of your plan. And Lord, the way I interpret this text is it's you, the sovereign God, who's allowing all these things to happen. And Lord, that's within your mysterious mind. You know why you're doing this. You know why you're going to allow it to happen, but you will allow it to happen. And so, Lord, we just give you praise, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, those who have confessed faith in Christ, they will not take the mark of the beast. They will not worship this coming charismatic personality filled with the devil himself. They will not. They cannot. Because, Lord, we've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the message that I heard this morning from a pastor who said, there are two types of people in this world. There's one group of people that is broken, and they run to Jesus, and they are saved and healed. And then there are those who are broken, who try to figure out life by themselves. Father, I'm praying today that you would bring broken, hurting hearts to yourself, And God, you'd show them that this is a day of grace. This is an age, an epoch of time where grace flows freely and salvation is dispensed upon all of those who call upon the name above every name, Jesus, who is the Lamb. It's you, and we worship you gladly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John, in 1 John and 2 John, refer to the Antichrist four different times. Daniel, as I mentioned a moment ago, refers to him as the little horn and as the beast. Jesus talks about the Antichrist in the Gospel of Matthew. And let me just read a couple of scriptures to you. For example, in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul calls him this, then the lawless one will be revealed. In other words, there's coming a time where this individual will be revealed. This is not an It's not so much a kingdom or an empire, though it entails some of that. It's much more than that. It's a person. The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume one day with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Let me read another scripture to you here in the introduction as we're looking. I think the next one's in Daniel. Is that right? Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity, Daniel says, talking about the little horn, the beast. He shall even rise against Jesus. He will rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. So what I want to do today is I want to preach a whole message about this coming Antichrist, and we're going to look at his ancestry, kind of his origins, where he comes from. We're going to look at his adoration, how he is worshiped. And uh, we're, we're going to look at his activities, some of the things that he's involved in. And finally, we're going to look at this admonition for the people of God. And I uh, just gave you the outline there. If you're interested, the four A's, the alliteration, it's more for me than anything. I preached this message here at Great Hills about three years ago. Some of y'all might remember this message as I was preaching on President Snow of the Hunger Games genre and how I, I did a juxtaposition. I compared a President Snow with the Antichrist. And by the way, the enemy always has somebody ready to fill this role because most of the world is absolutely ignorant to what y'all are about to hear today. And, and that's what's so fascinating to me is 
the Bible clearly describes what is happening and what will happen, but people don't want to take the time to read Daniel. They don't want to take the time to read the book of Revelation. They say, well, it's hard to understand, but it's not really. When you begin to put the pieces together and understand the fulfillment of prophecy, you see very clearly what is, what is unfolding. So let's talk about the ancestry or the origin, the background of the beast. Verse 1, <clears throat> the one standing on the sea, the sand of the sea, is the dragon, okay? That one standing on the, on the shores of the sea is the dragon, and the one coming up out of the abyss, it says the sea, I, I, think, I think it's better to translate it more as the abyss or the bottomless pit, and out of the pit of hell itself comes this antichrist, this beast or this little horn. He is a person, and the dragon gives the beast his power. He animates him. He fills him, and, and he causes him to be worshipped. He has seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns. What in the world is that? I'm telling you, you can get absolutely immersed and enamored in trying to figure out the seven heads, the ten horns, the diadema. I want to share with you what I think it is. Now, I may be wrong. It certainly wouldn't be the first time. won't be the last time. What is it? Often wrong, but never in doubt. Amen. I, I know what I believe. I may be wrong, but I know what I believe. And I believe the seven heads are the seven successive reigns of the known world. <clears throat> For example, Egypt and Assyria, and then you got Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and this guy, this revived Roman Empire, if you will. Those are the seven successive reigns. And Daniel talks about these. He, he points these out, and I believe he is referring to those when he talks about the, the claws and the bear and the leopard and the lion and so forth. And what about these ten horns? And horns, by the way, in the Bible, whenever you see the word horn, especially in the Old Testament, it has the connotation of strength. And so the Antichrist is going to be the culmination of all these world powers, and he is going to have this delegation of kings underneath him, these ten, um, he is the uh, suzerainty is a new word I learned this week in my study. He is the suzerainty. That means he has dominion over those who are lesser than him. And they are powerful people, no doubt. I believe they are ten kingdoms or ten kings, and they have their crowns, and they all will give allegiance to, to this one, the, the Antichrist. I hope this helps you. The heads represent successive reigns and the horns will represent simultaneous reigns, okay? Now, each head has a blasphemous name. In, in verses 1 through 6, the word blasphemy is used four different times. The Antichrist will blaspheme the Lord God and His Christ. You think Christianity is singled out and targeted now, and it is? Wait till this end times. All of this singling out of Christianity and this hatred, this vitriol targeted toward Christ, it's only going to accentuate, it's going to be maximized in the last days. We're just seeing the rumblings of it. That's why I don't get too overly concerned. Why isn't Muhammad ever picked on? <laughs> why don't you ever hear the quest for the historical Muhammad? Why don't Time Magazine, and why doesn't CNN, and why don't we have all these stories about Muhammad? And the reason they don't is because they are afraid of what they're going to find out about him. Because he was a very loose, morally man. Had sex with a nine-year-old, Muhammad did, 
and he was a warrior of a man. We don't want to know about him because we don't want to know what he was really like. So all this is about Jesus. Well, let's study about Jesus, and let's just analyze him and evaluate him and try to, let's do this for Buddha. No, we've never done that for Buddha. What about Confucius? What about Joseph Smith? What about any of the others? No, it's always Christ. It's him. He's the one who is the target of our animosity, of our vitriol, and our hatred as a culture, and it's because he's the real one. He's the, he's the truth. And so he's going to be targeted. L- look at this text here out of, uh, I think this is Thessalonians. I have so many scriptures. Uh, it is. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God, the Antichrist will, in the temple of God to show himself that he is God. That's what, he's, that's what he wants. That's what he's always wanted. He's always wanted to be worshipped as God. So he blasphemes. Verse 2. Now, when you read verse 2, it, it's very imperative that you read Daniel 7, 3 through 7, because they almost have the same language, very similar language when they describe him. Now, Daniel's prophecy, the lion represents Babylon, the bear, the Medo-Persians, and the leopard represents Greece. But Daniel's fourth beast is more terrific and terrible and powerful than all the three preceding. And Daniel says this in Daniel 7, 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. Why does he call him the beast? You ever heard the mark of the the beast? John, the beast. Because the Bible's given us really what he's going to be like. As charismatic and as handsome and as brilliant and as intelligent he is, underneath he's really this hideous beast. He is terrible and exceedingly strong. This beast had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with his feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had, huh, ten horns. He says, is this Revelation we're reading? No. This is Daniel we're reading. And so we're putting the two to two together. It's really not that hard to realize they're talking about the same one. Robert Thomas helped me a lot with this when he said, the combined strength and brutality of the historical Babylon, the Medo-Persian, and the Greece, and Greece is what will comprise the total character of this beast. Rome had, and in its restored form, it will have the agility, the cat-like vigilance and craft, and fierce cruelty of a leopard the feet of a bear to crush your enemies and the roar of a lion. This is the person that the saints will face in the last days. Verse 2, don't, don't miss this. The dragon or Satan gives the beast or the Antichrist his power, his throne, and his authority. But the pinnacle of the devil's counterfeit is in verse 3. In chapter 17, verse 8, we'll look at it in a few weeks, it talks about the beast who was and is not and yet is. Somehow, some way, he's going to rise up. Somebody's going to try to kill him. And, and, and really, church, I don't know what this is. I don't know if this is some counterfeit resurrection. I don't know if God allows him to be literally raised from the dead by the power of Satan. I don't know if it's a sleight of hand. All I know is that he is going to supposedly die, and he's going to come back to life, and people are going to go, wow, only other person we've ever heard do that was another guy. And so they will begin to, to worship. That's the ancestry of the beast. So let's look next at the adoration or the worship of the beast. 
verse 3, the last uh, sentence, it says, And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And one writer puts it this way, Whether the beast performs this marvelous feat through deception or through power permitted by God, his resurrection, it still brings him into the limelight as never before. And Satan has his day. Well, really, he has 1,260 of them. Three and a half years of his day of being a worship. And the answer in verse 4, so they worship the dragon who gave him authority to the beast, and they worship saying, who is like him? Who is able to make war with him? And the answer to the rhetorical question is no one. No one. He is unlike any that we've ever seen. Look at his power. Look how amazing he is. Listen, what if JFK, what if John F. Kennedy, and by the way, many people believed he was the Antichrist. Just think about how handsome he was, how brilliant he was. And by the way, I'm not saying that the Antichrist is going to come from America, is not going to be a president. Okay. I'm just saying, what if he died and came back to life? I mean, think about, think about what people were basically worshiping John F. Kennedy. Some basically still do today. And it's not unheard of for people to worship American presidents. Jamie Foxx said... Oh, Barack Obama is my personal Lord and Savior. So it's not unheard of for people to worship, literally worship human beings. But with the, with the good looks and the charisma and the brilliance of a JFK, that kind of person times 10, and he's struck dead like a bullet blown his brains out, and he comes back to life. If you're not in Jesus and your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're going to worship him, and you're going to go to hell. So this is a warning. This is, his act. This is the adoration of, of him. I was talking to a friend of mine just this week, and um, he, he and I agree on a lot of things. He's a pastor back in Tennessee, and he, he said, have you ever noticed how difficult it's getting to be a Christian in America? And I said, yes. He said, I predict in 10 to 15 years we will have to worship in our homes. What do you all think about that? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be scary? In 10 to 15 years, we will have to worship in our homes if things continue on the route and the trajectory they are in now. Well, let's look at the activities of the beast. As if you're not thoroughly discouraged and disappointed, let me disappoint you some more this morning, all right? But it's going to get better, all right? Remember the lamb. Remember there is a victory coming. The activities of the beast, verses 5 through 8. Four times the beast is given or granted his authority and his power. Now, some of my Calvinist friends are really going to like what I'm about to say. And I think they're right, by the way, on this one. They believe that the authority granted is given by God himself because God is sovereign. And he cannot have this authority unless it's granted to him. And they love to quote Martin Luther at this point, and I do too, where it says, the devil is still God's devil. By the way, that is a good quote. Remember that. The devil is still God's devil, and he does only what is in the permissive will of God. Verse 5 gives his time frame or his authority. I'm just going right through 13, 1 through 10, okay? But we're in verse 5. Verse 5 gives the time frame of his authority. It's 42 months. We've already looked at that. Verse 6 says, the beast blasphemes God's name. And it will be God's name that he will blaspheme. One of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. God will not hold him guiltless. 
who takes his name in vain. But not only will he blaspheme God's name, he will blaspheme God's tabernacle, heaven, and the inhabitants of heaven, which would be the angels and the redeemed of humanity. All right? This is verse, verse 6. He's venting his hatred for God and the people of God. And verse 6 says, and he will overcome them. Let me read Daniel 7, 21 and 25, and let me, give you, let me give you a word of encouragement. He will overcome them physically, but he could never overcome them spiritually. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints, and he was prevailing against them, Daniel said. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and he will even try to change the times and the law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Time is a year, times two years and a half, which would be three and one half years, which, by the way, is 42 months, which, by the way, is 1,260 days. You see the same time frame, and it hasn't happened yet. This, this has not happened yet. It will happen, though, in the future, and it's not that hard for us to imagine it, is it? Okay, verse 8. It says, the earth dwellers, those whose names are not written in the book of life, will worship the Antichrist. All those whose names on earth, will, they will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, verse 8 is interesting, and I'm going to take just a moment of teaching, uh, because th th I really don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to give you all the, I'm going to give you the different theories when I went to India, I was told, don't do that in India. Just, just tell them the answer. I was like, okay. That's, that, that takes the professor out of me. I like to give you all the options so you can choose which one. They say, we don't have time for options. Just tell them the right one. I said, okay. So, but this is America. So what is John referring to when he says, from the foundation of the world? Okay. Let's, do, let's think. Let's think hard for a moment. Is he talking about the book of life, or is he talking about the Lamb of God? I'm in verse 8. Look at it, okay? Verse 8, is John saying that it's the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, or is he talking about the Lamb Jesus slain from the foundation of the world? Well, by the way, in other places in Scripture, it says both, if that helps you. Later on in the book of Revelation, I think it's 17, it clearly say, says that it's the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. So let's talk about both of them for a moment. What does that mean? That those will worship the Antichrist whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's say it's the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. I think there are three ways to look at this. Number one, I had a professor friend of mine told it to me this way. He said, everybody's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And upon death, if they have not received Christ, then they're blotted out. That's what this guy, a whole lot smarter than I am, he has forgotten more than I ever learned. He really believes that. Calvinists don't like that, by the way, okay? Let me give you the Calvinist position. They're more in predestination and election that God forever has recorded the names of those He's going to save, and only those, and their names are recorded, and that's just it. Others whose names are not recorded, they're not going to be saved. And here it is from all eternity, time, past, future, present forever. There they are. They will not take the mark of the beast. They will not worship the, the Antichrist. They will be martyred because their names are forever recorded. Number three, 
There's the belief that, yes, it's the Lamb's book of life. Our names are recorded based on God's foreknowledge of who is going to accept Him and who's not going to accept Him, and so their names are recorded. I think there's merit. I think all three are are valid interpretations. I just lean more towards the last one. Nobody could ever accuse me of being a full hearted Calvinist, because I'm, I'm, I'm just not, though I know there are some who are, even in our church, and uh, that's, that's a good thing. I'm glad they're in our church. What if it's the other one? What if it's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? What does that mean? Here's what that means. For all time, for all eternity, it has been in the heart of God to have His Son slain for your sins and for my sins. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And you read this in Scripture and you see it, and it was just manifested in Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time the Son was born, and He lived and He died, and He was sfatso, by the way, and that means to be butchered. By the way, that's the same Greek word to describe the Antichrist's death. I'm just, I'm just telling you. He will be butchered, He will be slain, and then he's going, to, he's going to come back from the dead. All right, so let me go to point number four, which is the admonition of God, verses 9 and 10, and this is where it really gets encouraging. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Notice it does not say, if anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you notice that little omission? I believe that's omitted because the church is not there. It's been raptured. It's been taken out by the Spirit, by Christ. There's been a rapture of the church, and those who are left behind are those who are going to believe on Christ, and they're going to be martyred. Most of them will be. But the church is gone. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity, and he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. This is the patience and the faithfulness of the saints. What does that mean? Am I just the strange, am I the only strange bird in here? When I read a text like that, do you ever say, what in the world does that mean? Would y'all help me by show of hands? The rest of you are just geniuses. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be your pastor, by the way. Y'all just know, you just know, you're omniscient. You just know exactly why. Well, I didn't. So I'm in study and saying, what is John saying? There's two, there's two theories, two interpretations. The first one goes like this. This is uh, one writer puts it this way. If anyone is for captivity, into captivity he departs. If anyone is to be killed by the sword, it is necessary for him to be killed by the sword. This is the endurance and the faithfulness of the saints. In other words, it is inevitable. For the martyrdom, for the tribulation saints, they are the ones that must go into captivity. They are the ones that must die by the sword. It's just ordained that way, and there's no getting out of it. If you're going to follow Christ in the great tribulation, you're going to die, and that's just the way it is. There's a second interpretation, and I think there's some merit in this one. And it goes like this. It implies that those who persecute and kill believers they eventually will go into captivity. And those who kill believers with the sword, they themselves will die by the sword, by the sword that protrudes from the mouth of the Lamb when He comes again in Revelation 19. But John ends this in a very interesting way. He said, this is the patience, the hupomomen, the endurance and the faithfulness of the saints. When we are patient, and we are persevering. Now, 
There was coming a time, and I sure hope you're not here to live through this, that the only way you're going to make it is you're going to have your faith in God, you're going to trust in God, and it's probably going to cost you your life. And if you can be faithful and endure, then surely the child of God today can be faithful and endure today. Because as bad as it is now, it's, it's nothing like it's going to be. It is going to get worse. I'm sorry, it's the, the negative premillennial in me. It, it's going to get worse before it gets a whole lot better. Now, I'm going to close my, my sermon with a story, and, and I don't want you all to think I've lost my mind when I tell you this story, because this story is going to make sense, okay? Think about these words, the faithfulness, the endurance, this is the child of God, the one who is faithful and the one who endures. And here's what I think. I think that the world today is so looking and searching for a real Christ follower who in the crucible, in the difficulty of pain and suffering, they, they, don't, they don't just fall apart, but they're hanging in there like this precious lady I, I talked to this morning is awaiting a, a, a news from her oncologist. And, and I was thinking to myself, glory to God, she's in church. And there she stood in Bible life. And, and she's going to hear some news tomorrow, and I'm praying that it's good news. But, I mean, she just had this peace about her, and, and that's attractive. That's, that's, the way we, that's the way we need to be. So here's a story of my brother and his pit bulldog. No, true story. My brother had a pit bull named Tugger. And that was the most fierce, amazing dog I have ever seen. Sorry, Zila, my German shepherd whom I love. All 90 pounds of her I love. She's nothing like Tugger. Tugger, he looked like this. I hadn't planned on doing this. <laughs> That's what you get for doing lunges yesterday, Brother Danny. You're getting too old for that. Tugger looked like this. He's like this. You know. That's a bulldog. I mean, he was ferocious-looking bulldog. He was about this tall. Which I like that, short. He's about this wide. He wouldn't hurt a flea. Kind of like German Shepherds or other breeds. They, they'll be whatever you want them to be, okay? Jerry loved this dog. Came home one day, the dog was taken, was stolen. And oh, he was so upset. He put little flyers out in the neighborhood. Have you seen this dog? Please call this number. Y'all seen those? I mean, all over the neighborhood, all over. And this is in the country, so he went all over the place just putting up, if you see this dog, this is my dog, please let me know. Well, he gets his phone call. This lady says, I know who stole your dog, and he's got your dog at his house. My brother was fired up, and he's, my brother's loaded. He's just packing, and he's ready to go see who got his dog. But he had the wherewithal about him, and he had Christ within him to call the sheriff called the local sheriff, and my brother and the sheriff go to this guy's house. And there's a showdown, okay? Here's what happens. So you're making this up, Brother Day. No, I'm not. It's a true story. Something you see on 48 hours. I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not. They go knock on the door. And my brother, he's, he's, he's fired up. He goes, you have my dog. He says, oh, oh your, your dog, uh, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know that was your dog. I just thought, I mean, he went and stole the dog from my brother's yard, and, 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 and Jerry and the sheriff were there, and the Holy Spirit came over my brother. The patience and faithfulness of the saints. And this is what my brother did. 
He said, you stole my dog. If it's a dog you want, I will go get you a dog. And my brother left that guy's house. Him and his wife, Gina, drove and bought a $250 pit bull puppy. Brought that puppy to that young guy's house. This guy was 18 years of age. And Jerry said, I noticed something I'd never seen before. The guy lives in abject poverty. He's from a broken home and a single mom. And, and Jerry just said, here's the quote. He said, the Bible says, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, you will not lose your reward. I'm not bringing you a cup of cold water. I'm bringing you a puppy. And he gave that 18-year-old boy, and that boy's face just lit up. And I thought about the patience, the faithfulness, the endurance of saints. When everything's against us, when everything rises up within us to fight, to retaliate, to get what's ours and take whatever measure, if we suppress that and take the high road, I don't think that young man will ever forget that. I think from now on, he associates Christianity with people like my brother who are patient and who endure. And by the way, when the tribulation saints do that, it's going to be very recognizable. I just want us to do that today. When it's very conspicuous, it's very palpable, when you see a follower of Christ who's patient, who bears up underneath uh, the weight. Oh, I feel like the little messenger boy that was given a message, and he said, go and deliver the message. Well, that's, that's what I've done today. I've given you the message. You take it. You process it as you feel the Lord leading you. Uh, but I think you know where I stand on it. So let me, let me close this in prayer. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, We thank the Lord today for His Word. We're grateful for the Word of God that it's in ink, it's in black and white. It's for us to read. It's for us to learn from. I want to thank you for your patience, church. I want to thank you for your faithfulness uh, to the Scriptures. This church, for as long as it has existed, and every pastor has been faithfully preaching the Word of God, enduring whatever pain and opposition that that it had to endure, and, and we're continuing to do that, and I thank you. And maybe you're here today and you're like, this is scaring the ibby-jibbies out of me. I have no idea what I just heard, but I don't, I don't know if I like it. Well, who is the Lamb? Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Would you give your life to Him today and you don't have to worry about this stuff? You give your life to Christ and, and you're a part of His forever family and, and you demonstrate by your repentance and your belief, you demonstrate that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. So I invite you today, if you don't know the Lord, that today would be the day you give your life to Christ. If you do know Him, oh, my friend, you can't do this on your own. We need you and you need us. The church of God is only as strong as its individual members. And so I invite you, if it's not this church, then please find you a place, a church, that you can be involved in and you can serve with. And as Tim shared a moment ago, our deacon, that you can give your tithes and your offerings and you can offer your help and your service and be a part of the winning team, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise today and we're very thankful. We're grateful for your word. God, it's, it's amazing that you would say so many things about one individual, particular individual who is yet to come. But Lord, we thank you that greater is he that is in us 
than he that's in this world. We thank you that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb of God, the word of our testimony, and we don't love our lives. Even unto death, we're going to be courageous. So Lord, as we're going just a little long today, I pray that if there's anyone here today that want to stand up and step out and make their faith known in public and let us encourage them and strengthen them, I pray, God, they would do that today as we sing. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Would you stand up to your feet, stretch out, sing, sing unto the Lord. We're going to let some pastors and some counselors talk to you and encourage you. God bless you.